0: Hi, uh, my name is Sharon Bro, and I've beaten the often path (laughs) by sparking the conversation around reusable bags and um, starting a reusable bag company way back when in 1989. The company's name is Eco Bags.
1: Welcome back to the Beat the Often Path podcast, the show where we uncover unusual success stories to remind us that there are infinite paths to success and happiness. Today, my guest is Sharon Rowe, and let me tell you how excited I am about this episode, folks. Sharon built a business with no outside funding and a family of two small children in 1989 called Eco Bags. She helped pioneer the greater shift away from single use plastic bags and single use plastic in general towards more sustainable business packaging and practices. She's also the author of The Magic of Tiny Business. And she's built an amazing life for herself, her employees, and her family. Oh, and she also has a background in theater, so we've got that in common, too. What an inspiring story we have for you today. So with that, here is Sharon Rowe. Well, wonderful, Sharon. Glad to have you on the podcast. You've done some really impressive stuff. Um, I'm very eager to jump into a conversation with you. So thank you, first of all, for joining me today.
0: Oh, you're welcome. Thanks for finding
1: me. Yes. So your story ticks off so many of the boxes that are important to me. You have done something for yourself. You have gone into business for yourself, but you've done it in a way that is helping the planet. You're a very creative person, and you've also written a book, which is something that I want to discuss as well. So you've just done Mm -hmm. all of these things that I find to be very cool, and that if I fast-forwarded my life 20 years, that it would be cool if I have done in the future. So... I'm super excited to hear how you got started in all of this.
0: Hmm. Well, way back when, because um, my company is about 30 years old now, um, I was an actor, actress in New York City, uh, getting parts here and there, doing a lot of work for free, and also finding work and in, um, in opportunities and things that I wasn't really passionate about, you know, selling other people's soap, selling pharmaceuticals that I didn't really care about, et cetera, et cetera. And I just, there were things that really didn't match my personal values, even if it was upping my game as an actor and giving me greater access to the acting pool, managers, et cetera, et cetera. Um, Also the acting world for my type, um, you know, even within women, there's like, I was a type, right? Um, Was really tiny. So um, I had to do a lot of other work and I found a lot of that work, not that satisfying as well, because I was, again, not really addressing what I thought was important with my time and energy. Um, and then, um, what happened actually in very quick succession is I started noticing, um, like a lot of single use plastic bags floating around my neighborhood. And this is back in 1986. Mm-hmm. Um, I did not live in a very fancy neighborhood. I lived in what I called upstate New York, which was Washington Heights, which is now actually very popular because of Lin-Manuel. Thank you, Lin-Manuel. Okay. <laughs> it was wonderful. Um, but back then, it was a little din- d- dirtier and dingier than it is now. It was at the point when a lot of artists like myself and my husband, who's a pianist, were moving in. Anyway, I, all these plastic bags were everywhere. They just were gross. And plus, they couldn't eat, didn't even have a double use um, You couldn't even line your garbage can with them because they'd break by the time you got home. And they were, you know, cluttering gutters, et cetera, et cetera. So I thought, oh, I want to do something about this. So I started looking for solutions to uh, this. Like, how can I not use those yucky bags? How can I reduce that sort of stupid consumption? Mm Because a single-use plastic bag didn't make any sense to me. Well, that happened around the same time as um, I we decided to have a baby. I got pregnant. And um, then my child was born. And And I'd been talking about this idea with a number of other people. And I'd started using some bags that i had brought back from Europe. They were the original fillet bags or string bags. And so I had the baby. Um, I'm living in the neighborhood. I'm only using my fillet bags. People are looking at me sort of curiously, uh, maybe not. And I started working from home, which now is like, oh, work from home. Well, back then I was called a Lone Eagle (laughs) because I was at home in my, you know, at home office, which included a fax machine and a Apple computer that had less computing capacity than probably, who knows, it was so long ago. And there was no internet. Anyway, um, my manager at the time at the company I was working at uh, yelled at me for not being at my desk all the time when I took a Bathroom break, and I just basically picked up the phone and said, You know what? I'm done. That's it. And that's when I started my company, <laughs> Eco Bags Products. Um, and the brand is Eco Bags. I decided that I was going to put my energy into solving um, what I thought was a really big problem, which was single use plastic bags by educating people and giving them an alternative with something that they could literally carry in their hands. So I was sparking a conversation. Uh, With a physical entity, and I decided to start a business, not a nonprofit, because I did have a profit motive. I needed to make a living. Of course, right. I didn't do this because you know I had a trust fund and I could live off of all the extra money. I had basically a um, a very short amount of time that I had to start generating some income, Um, and so I took stock of what we had. I invested a very small amount, um, almost laughable. Um, I found a supplier actually initially in Germany because I couldn't get anything like what I wanted in the U.S. And ultimately, I wound up in India, but that's a whole other part of the story. Um, And I started bringing the bags to local shops in Manhattan and saying, what do you think? What do you think? What do you think? And slowly but surely, I started getting orders and interest. And more importantly, I started building that conversation called, huh, I don't need to take a single-use bag And throw it away every time. I just go to the store for milk, eggs, whatever, garlic, you know. And I don't need to double bag. And so that's where. And nobody was talking about it at this point at all, like zero zilch. Um, But I did find out because I participated in a um, Earth Day in 1990 on Sixth Avenue. Um, I got my booth, which was all manual at this point. I had to go down the city. Downtown, I had to stand online. I had to get a certificate. I mean, it was like days. Um, and it was a huge Earth Day. Um, I think it was the 20th anniversary. Did I say that? Yeah, 1990. Anyway, I set up my booth. I had about 2,000 bags that I had ordered from overseas, which cost me about $2,000. So that's what I started with, more or less, um, which By the way, I kept in my apartment. So if all you New Yorkers out there, yes, I had a really long hallway, but I had really low rent. Um, (laughs) I was living in the Heights. Um, And we sold out in four hours. So unbeknownst to me, this conversation was happening, but no one who had started a business uh, to sort of promote the idea to a wider audience. And my thinking was, if I could start a business, I could reach that many more people. So a one-to-one person sale is... You know one conversation, but a someone who uh, wholesales goods can reach multiple resellers who in turn reach multiple people and so that's how the community got built around uh, this idea of not only reusable bags but not creating waste
2: mm-hmm.
0: and this is even before I knew even what plastic bags were made of they're made of petroleum mm-hmm. this is before I knew about the the scourge of plastics in our oceans because actually since i started it's gotten way worse
2: Mm
0: -hmm. um i was just sort of thinking along the lines of cleaning up my neighborhood and wanting to go to parks and not be you know have to move things aside so in my park all there was was single use plastic bags and needles right again it's the 80s (laughs) so uh, my kid would bend down and don't touch that (laughs) um (laughs) And I was inspired a lot by um, the Clearwater, um, and that's Pete Seeger's nonprofit organization about cleaning up the Hudson River. Wow! So that's where it started, and it and it grew um, really slowly, um, uh, but little bit by little bit, we were making our nut. I was bringing home enough income for my own family um, with it. Um, that obviously necessitated looking at our own living habits. So we scaled back on a lot of things. But honestly, it wasn't that expensive to live back then. If you lived in Manhattan, in the Heights again, um, in an apartment that was affordable, no car. At one point, we did have a car. But, you know, no electronics. (laughs) There are very few. Um, So we were able to squeeze by for a few years until it started to kick up a bit.
1: Okay, so you were able to live from day one, more or less, or...
0: Yeah, absolutely. Now, but you have to add into that. My husband was teaching. So okay. we, he had a, actually, when we first started the business, he was only teaching part-time and he was t- uh, providing a lot of um, piano lessons to kids. Like, I think he had 18 students a week or something, something crazy like that. Then he moved to a full-time position at a uh, private school, not a public school. And I only make that distinction because uh, private schools don't have pensions. <laughs>
2: wow.
0: So uh, we were still running on the artist track. Mm-hmm. He had been a pianist, I had been an actress, and we knew how to live and manage with less than actually most of my other family members.
1: You knew how to struggle for an extended period of time.
0: Yeah, and you know what? It really wasn't a struggle sure. because we were able to construct our life around what mattered most. Yeah. And and we didn't, I mean Something I mentioned in my book, The Magic of Tiny Business, is you don't want to starve yourself, but maybe, you know, going out to dinner isn't an every day affair or an every week affair, or it's a special occasion once every two weeks. Yep. So you get rewards. So you have to build in your rewards. You don't have to, um, they're not part of your daily until you can get to the point that you can add in more, if you even want to add in more.
1: Sure. So when you when you did this, did you immediately feel so you left you left the job? You do this as many people think about doing all the time. Did you immediately feel I'm on the right path or was there a period where you thought this was a mistake?
0: Yeah. So originally I was definitely on the right path because because being a young mom working from home, I had a lot of flexibility, um, you know, insert I had. Childcare. (laughs) Of course. And the way I did that was my neighbor who was upstairs, who was a graduate student, we shared childcare. So we figured out how to do that as well, because you cannot, from my opinion, do a startup and have someone, you know, going through your needing you, you know, on and off. So, um, And I, But I was able to limit my hours and I was able to make my hours flexible. Again, this is before cell phones. So this is back in the days when if someone called you, it was okay to get back to them the next day or two days later. It wasn't the immediacy of email and and phone calls now. Um, And yes, from the very beginning, I felt really at ease because the conversation, people were open to it. They could see the waste. They just didn't have a solution. It wasn't what they were looking for. And it sparked... Again, so many conversations, not just the reusable bag, but how things are packaged. You know, mm-hmm. what are we doing? What What are things made of? Yeah. A, a lot of the conversations that are current, you know, where are my clothes made? I mean, it, it really grew. And for me, it was, you know, a cotton good. Is it conventional cotton? Is it recycled cotton? And we moved into organics really fast. So I knew I was on the right track. And in the very beginning, also just by coincidence, uh, my husband was at our local natural food store, which I wouldn't even go into. I'm sorry. They were not organized and they were just not like they are now. And he met one of the distributors and one of the distributors picked us up. So we were right in the natural products industry from the very beginning. That mm. was our, our go-to um, uh, bucket. You know, that was our industry. Yep. And that's where we took off with natural foods uh, store owners and They were the best people because that's where organics came out of. That's where gluten-free came out of. That's where vegan came. I mean, all this stuff that's available easily now started (laughs) with people like me in the natural products industry saying, we need to make these things available uh, to a wider audience. And there's a larger conversation than just what you pick up and what you put in your mouth. Um, Then to extend on that, yeah, there were a bunch of times when I was like, wait, this is not working. This is frustrating. It's taking a longer time than I thought. I'm never going to be able to do this. So at one point, I did some temp work for a friend of mine who's a jazz producer, literally entering credit cards manually, because this is before all the technology that exists today. Um, And I took some side gigs, um, but mostly I realized if I just stayed focused and I managed my time really well, really efficiently and and. So I was patient and persistent. That I knew the market would open. I didn't know when, but I knew it would open. And I knew I had to be in the right place. And I knew to be in the right place, I had to have, um, I had a stake on my mission. I had to be as transparent as possible. I had to find my community, which was the natural products industry, and then expanded to the B Corp world, and which expanded to the social venture world, and that. Um, I needed to have inventory. I had to be on mission, have good goods to sell. And I had to have a, a good handle on cash flow. Mm-hmm. And I had to build relationships, long-lasting relationships. Mm-hmm. And I, I'd like to say that some of the companies that we still sell to, uh, they've been in business for 30 years as well. Wow. So you're so really ha- on the cutting I had to edge build a all of all a solid base. Yeah.
1: This is that awkward moment in the show where we interrupt the normal listening experience to bring you what could be called a commercial, but let's not be so crass, okay? Instead, I'm just going to use this opportunity to remind you that podcasts only grow with the help of their listeners. So if you're out there listening to this, if you like this story, if you like these stories that I'm bringing to you, please like, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, subscribe on Spotify, share the episodes that you like with people who need to hear them. Rate the show five stars on Apple Podcasts, subscribe on YouTube, follow me on Instagram at the Ross Palmer, and just do whatever you can to help this podcast grow so that I can continue to bring inspiring new and fresh success stories from all around the world. So again, I wanna grow this podcast with you. And with that, let's get right on back to the programming. Were you the first to do this that you know of in the US? Were there others?
0: I thought I was the first. And this is before the internet, so I didn't know what was going on in California. Of course, right. I mean, where are you located? I'm actually located
1: in California, in Los Angeles. Ah,
0: okay, we had no idea. All right, so we had no idea what was going on in California. Right. Um, But of all the people I knew and everything I'd ever heard and all the research that I did, I was the only one. Interestingly enough, when we did that Earth Day uh, um, event on 6th Avenue... In 1990, we're selling hand over fist, sold out of in four hours. There's these two people looking at us and sort of taking notes. Like, Mm. like, who are they? Right. And I went over and I introduced myself. And the woman's name was Lainey Johnson. She introduced herself. Her company was named EcoSense. Oh. My company was with EcoBags. And we were doing similar things. But she was downtown Manhattan and I was uptown. Okay. So... So I wasn't really the only one. I was the only, I was the first one to put it on the internet and stuff and really grow. Cause what happened is I actually wound up buying her business. So technically, <laughs> if you roll us together, we were there. But I said, look, I'll just do everything above 14th Street and you do everything below 14th Street. We basically split it in half. Split it up. Yeah. Because again, no internet, no Google search. This is this is knocking on doors and going to trade shows. This is all handshake by handshake by handshake. Yeah. And we figured we'll work together. And we did for years, um, like a year, a year and a half or so until I, I purchased her company. Um, and then I just continued to grow. <sighs> and she she left, not because she couldn't do enough business, but because her husband was a professor, I think, at NYU. I'm not sure. And they left Manhattan. Okay. Yeah.
1: And then you They were, off, they were
0: older than me and they were off to do something else.
1: Got it. Yeah. What an unbelievable story! First of all, let me just say that's uh, that's incredible. Yeah. Um, you obviously don't know much about this podcast yet, but <laughs> what I'm always harping on is the intersection between a couple different things: between creativity, mm. namely the arts, and commerce, and the third part of the triangle being doing good for the earth or things that at the very least aren't harming the earth. Mm-hmm. And as the father of a daughter myself, who is now just three years old, Aww. I want her to grow up and feel that she can do something exactly like what you have done. I want her to mm-hmm. feel, if she grows up and feels like this is something that I could do, then I will be as thrilled as I can possibly be. Mm-hmm. So you have got this great, <laughs> you know, marriage of different ideas. Yeah. Um, you know, you started as a creative, but obviously money is important. Love it or hate it, it's important in this world that we live in. So you say, okay, what can I do? I can do this. And you did it. Now, I haven't read your book yet, but as soon as I saw the title and the tagline, I thought this is immediately going to be the next book that I buy, The Magic of Tiny Business. Mm-hmm. I love it. You say you don't have to go big to make a great living. That's the tagline. And I think that's so cool because so many people think I need to make a $100 million or a $1 billion. I need to be the next Steve Jobs to have a great life. But here you are. You've done something that you can feel really good about. You Like you said, for many years, you were providing for your family, not necessarily maybe doing a whole lot more than that to start, but you had a mission that you believed in. So mm-hmm. I think that's all just so excellent. <laughs> um, so yeah, what can you tell us about the book itself? What was the idea behind that?
0: Well, first of all, I'll define tiny because I was actually looking at that this morning again because it can be confusing. It's really not about the size of the company. A tiny business can be a multi-million dollar company or sure. billion, it's really, we are, instead of saying we're a small global brand, we're a tiny global brand. And a tiny business is one that focuses, is mission focused on, with purpose and passion, but is clear about using profit to build a better planet. Okay. And I was wordsmithing that this morning, so I will make it shorter. But the thing is, um, what I can tell you about it is, it takes a lot of perseverance And it takes wanting to, part of that magic of tiny business, you don't have to go big to make a great living and a big impact. Hmm. Is is understanding from the impact point of view, how many people you can touch if you can leverage a business as the touch point. Hmm. And then the profit part is how much do you really need How much do you want? And setting, I always wanted to go big. My husband, my husband laughs at me because he said when I was an actor, all it says, "I want to go national. I want to go national." Right? (laughs) That was my thing. Um, But I saw the limit. I saw my own limitations in that world for me, my type. But going national meant making an imprint that had a lasting effect, that started a conversation, and that was something that would shift um, how we are now. Um, And that was as an actor as well. And what I've seen is my business, EcoBag, stands at that sort of intersection, that pioneering intersection of that conversation. And for a long time, I didn't even know it until I was at a social venture um, conference. And a friend of mine, Rose, who she and her husband, um, uh, Tim, Own green retirement, and they are, as I know, the first uh, 401k retirement that is fossil free.
2: Whoa!
0: Okay, so these are cutting edge people. This is like this the social venture circles where people who are are at the front end of a lot of cultural shifts that we've seen. Yeah. When they mentioned that the top, I forget it was the top of the top ten things that have shift behaviors that have shifted over the last decade, basically. Number one was turning the water off when you brush your teeth. Mm. And number two was bringing a bag, mm. a usable bag. And she looked over at me and she winked. Yeah, <laughs> And I just, I like just started to cry because, <laughs> because at that point I wasn't out promoting a book or promoting, I was just, you know, deep in a business. Cause when you're right. in a business, you're deep in the business. And when you're raising kids, you're deep in that. Of course. You know, there's not a whole lot of time for anything else. So, yep. and I didn't, See, when when I started, it's so different than now. Um, right now, people call themselves entrepreneurs. I called myself a business person. I guess now I'm an entrepreneur because mm-hmm. I didn't just step into an insurance firm or whatever, you know, something that already existed. Um, and I didn't take money. I built it hand over fist, reinvesting in the company, which is completely different.
1: Fantastic.
0: But I think if you know, and, and I'm working with a woman right now who's doing Hudson Valley Books for Humanity. Um, she's starting a bookstore, which is a very, very brave thing to do, although bookstores are doing actually quite well right now. Use bookstores it locally. I said, okay, let's not make this phrase. How much do you want to make a dirty, something dirty? Like mm-hmm. making money is dirty. Making money is not dirty. Mm-hmm. Tell me you want to make, I don't know, let's say $100,000 a year. I'm just, that's an easy number to work with. Let's work it backwards so that you know exactly how many units you need to sell or how much you need to sell per square foot and in what categories, because ultimately business, and this is what I've come to after all these years in business, business, yes, business is about your passion and it's about your purpose and all that stuff are your your underlying values, but it's problem solving and it's math. Mm -hmm. And you can get there if you have a... um, if you can build a path, a pathway to where you want to go. And sometimes people say build it bigger because you'll reach further. I agree with that, but don't go so big that you can't get there Mm
2: -hmm. because
0: you want to attend to it every single day. And what happens is if you build something too big, like, oh, I want to, you know, I want to lift 50 pounds by the end of the week. You're not going to get there. Even, you know, my husband plays is a pianist. And he's told me that there's some study out there that says, if you can play for 10,000 hours, Right, Malcolm Gladwell, practice.
1: all yeah. of that, yep.
0: You'll get good at it. And that's, there's truth to that.
1: Okay, yeah, you know? sure.
0: When I, when I wrote my book, The Magic of Tiny Business, I had never written a book before. I really hadn't written very much. I did a lot of business writing. Of course, I wrote when I was at university and stuff like that. But I had started... Two years prior to when I even had the idea to do a book, deciding that I was going to do um, kind of like um, Julia Cameron morning pages.
1: Of course. Yes. but I didn't, I didn't really want to do
0: morning, but yeah. I, and I'd done morning pages years earlier because I was an actor, and that's what you did. Of course. And I actually, right now I'm painting, so you know, you do those things. But I didn't want it just to be about my feelings and my perceptions in the world. I would start every morning and I would just go, "Oh, chair." And I would write for 20 minutes about a chair, and then I'd turn off my timer and stop and walk away. And I built that muscle of writing Mm -hmm. so that when I, you know, I actually didn't decide to write a book. A friend of mine, Deb, said, You need to write a book. Come on. Absolutely. I was like, Really? Yes. Are you kidding me? You know, and and she said, No, you really do. And she has like, she has a, a, a company 10 times my size. Okay. And I said, Okay, fine, I'll do it. And I said, You know, and I was like, yeah. And I thought, oh God, okay, this is going to be a lot of work because I ultimately I can be pretty lazy. I mean, you wouldn't think that of me, but I can get-
1: I was going to ask if discipline has ever been an issue for you.
0: But but yeah, but right. So I can be lazy, but I am very disciplined. And that comes from acting,
1: You know that I need to do this.
0: I know what I need to do when I need to get something done. And I know how to, um, so again, to how do you do this? It's like going to, to school or to college. You don't do it all day. You do it for an hour, Mm. and you do this thing for an hour, and you do this thing for, and you have to build that. That's a muscle. Discipline is a muscle. Leadership is a muscle. It's a skill. You know, writing is a skill. It's a muscle. Mm -hmm. So every single one of these things, um, you know, improv we were talking about earlier. You've you've done improv improvisation for years. I've done improv for like a gazillion years. Sure, It's a muscle.
1: Yes. Yes, it is.
0: And you don't always win. <laughs> no, you definitely don't. So, in fact, Crickets will tell in a, you
1: when you don't win.
0: Yeah, yeah. Acting and improvisation will teach you how much you suck.
1: That's right. Which often. I a lesson I'm learning every day, by the way. <laughs>
0: yeah. Oh, well, kids will tell you that all the time, hundred yeah. percent. That's yeah.
1: TikTok for you if you've ever been on Yeah.
0: There. Oh my god. Yeah. Don't so even it's go but there. it's good to fail regularly. Yeah. Mm. It's really good to fail. Yep. And and sit in it.
1: And sit in it and dwell it. <laughs> Feel the pain. But, but
0: ultimately, figure it out right. because it's a, it's, it presents you with a problem to be solved. Right. And I the find pain. for business, that problem can be solved on a spreadsheet.
1: So just working out the numbers, you say, okay, I want to earn a million dollars a year. That's X amount per month. That's this many units per week. So you really just start there, work your way backwards and say, okay, I've got to hit up this many stores
0: yeah. to
1: make this happen. 2% yeah. of them are going to say yes.
0: Yeah, and, and you were yeah. able to do that, okay. And I was able to do that, and I did, and all the thinking around it is happening yep. now. When I was doing it in the early days, I didn't have any mentors. Right. Plus, there were very ask. few. Self-talk. There were very few women that I knew in business. In fact, all my friends were actors. Okay, <laughs> actors and musicians. So you really took a so. leap. There was no. <laughs> yeah. Instagram yeah, friends, inspiration. Friend, <laughs> no, no, I was not getting no. You just I and mean, we had three truly channels. We
1: started incredible. This is
0: before I think we had cable. Maybe we had cable. I also That's had good. two kids, you know, one and then two I years mean, later too. I mean, I didn't have much time for, I didn't go to school. There were no, there was no Ude, Udemy courses or yep. whatever you call it. There was yes. nothing online. Right. There was, there was no online.
1: There was no templates for what there were to no do. templates. And no. you were in an entirely new industry that, that nobody knew. I mean, it certainly wasn't fashionable back then. You were on no, the very, I very, was, very cutting edge of what would become a massive thing.
0: Right. I was creating a business around a market that didn't exist.
1: That's so, so I had I
0: had to create the market.
1: That's so, so, so incredible. You know, I think one of those, well, there's so many things I want to ask, but as, you know, people get into this. So for my personal journey, we watched some documentaries. I watched Food, Inc., Earthlings. My wife and I were shaken to our core. We looked at all of this Mm. stuff like, oh, my God. So we did a month of eating vegan just to see what would Mm. happen. And then that month turned into two, and then it became a year, and then it became two years, and then it became part of our life. But obviously in the beginning, You start asking yourself those little questions like, what can I do? Oh, maybe I can swap out all of the light bulbs in my house for eco-friendly light bulbs. Maybe I can not buy meat. So you start asking, what are the little things? Or like you said, Mm -hmm. don't turn off the water when you're brushing your teeth. Now, later, you might get depressed by the fact that Coca-Cola is putting out more garbage than any human could ever possibly compensate for. And you get depressed about the corporate state of the world and all of that. But you are figuring out if I take a bag to the grocery store, that will eliminate this thing. If I do this, that will eliminate this. If I drive my car less. So starting from there, not knowing at all where this was going to take you, how do you feel your thoughts have evolved since then? Do you, have you expanded your vision with not only the company, but with your future plans? Are you saying, no, we're going to stick uh, to bags? How has your thoughts changed since 1989?
0: Well, first, let me address something you said, which sure. is, you know, you, you do all these things and you think you're making an impact and you feel good about them. That's really important. That's a really important piece yes. of, of what I call not being pinged because you know, when you don't do them, you get like an ouch,
2: mm-hmm.
0: right? Yep. So we started this conversation True. with the beginning, I said, I was just putting a chicken in the oven. Well, it's, you know, it's a um, sustainably raised chicken. So that's, <laughs> sure. That's, you know, I'm just saying that's a choice that I've made. Yes, My, my daughter is um, vegan. She's made those choices. Um, and every time you make those kinds of choices and you have any kind of interaction with anyone, your family, your friends, someone sees you picking that thing up in the grocery or like putting that cauliflower back down because it's got plastic on it again. Yeah. You always, you're signaling.
2: True. And
0: you're signaling. And for those people who are out there in the world, noticing which mm. there's a lot i mean everybody says they're in their own little bubble but there's a lot of noticing going on mm. you're affirming you you may be in the position of affirming a a test a, a held belief that hasn't been tested or is being tested mm-hmm. so you're having ripple effects in mm-hmm. all directions right yeah just with very simple steps that you're taking mm. um i would you know consider vegan very simple motivated, conscious steps. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like you're, you're deciding you're not just going to grab
1: whatever's thrown
0: at you. Someone else's idea of what's good for you. You're going to make those yep. decisions. Yep. But you have an understanding that it's not about you. It's about a larger you. And kind of like, you know, um the James Cameron movie where we're all connected, you know. Avatar. That is, Avatar, we are connected. And True. what's her name? Julia, oh, I can't remember her name, but she's got a... There's a new movie about her, you know, and how trees all talk to each other through all their extensions. And um, we're all part of one. Yes. So that could get kind of weird, right? But let's stay on business.
1: <laughs> well, I agree with that. Yeah, but sure.
0: <laughs> because then you can feel, because the thing about being depressed is, yeah, you can get really depressed because we're, we can't move things fast enough because there's so much friction. Mm hmm. But you have to understand that there's a lot of good stuff happening as well. And it just, things just take time. And we just hope that things can move faster because mm-hmm. we're impatient. True. So we get impatient. Now, I forgot what you asked me to begin with, but we are ultimately impatient. Yeah. Have
1: and, you changed? How, have, how has your vision uh, no, morphed?
0: No, something? I've gotten, uh, no, I've gotten deeper. deeper. Okay. <laughs> but I, do, I actually also wonder, should we go in different directions? You know, I, we were challenged for a while in terms of materials, and we did a bunch of things for some fortune five hundred companies using um, our our pet, which is recycled um, basically plastic plastics. and um, we've moved away from that again because I feel like even by using it, even if it's um, although we we may go back see I go back and forth because if we're using something that's been you know recycled and it's trash, are we just contributing to the notion that you can create more so that it can be recycled and become trash, you know?
2: Valid and point. Really
0: what I come down to is, in the most pure form, and this is not good for business, which is a struggle, is we should all stay at home, have gardens, and make our clothes and wear a few things a year.
2: Mm. The f- but yeah, we, don't, clothes.
0: we don't live in that world, right? That's not the world we live in. So how do we create the lowest level of impact how do we move through the world in a kinder, gentler, less is more way?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And I do see that that can be viewed as a perspective of from someone who has. And I'd like to address that because I don't. I think that's a setup, and that's not true. Mm. Um, but there, there is a lot of aspirational stuff out there that. To reach for more, 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 consume more, more, Material more, 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 as, as if, yep. as if, yeah, as if that's the panacea, and and that's that's a falsehood too. I mean, yes, better food, and that's a whole other area you could go into in terms of food deserts, but um, healthier stuff. But the more, more, more mentality, not just within the U.S., because the U.S. is so um, we're we're such big polluters on so many fronts yep. in Western Europe. But how to shift that, how to really slow down fast fashion. Yep. Call it slow fashion. Right. Slow food, slow money. And then that scramble to get all that stuff and the prices might even come down. You know see what I'm saying? Because we've got the volume to go for the the goods, but what goods are we going for? I mean, we travel, I'm sort of rambling right now, but we used to travel to Europe to get a quieter, more simple life because that's what was presented to us as tourists. Right. But we could have that here. Of course. You know, have friends over for dinner on the back porch and make something. Right. Not always going out. So there's a million examples. So I don't think I've changed, I, I've moved away, I've moved deeper into. And in terms of the business, we've expanded somewhat to include different services. And now we're offering, you know, more made to order, order uh, customization and private label so that other brands can say, we're part of this larger community that has this these ideas. Um, but so long as this business provides for the people who work for it and myself and can, and has to, you have to grow every year because there's always attrition, right? Mm-hmm. You lose clients, you gain clients. Right. And, And um, COVID really whomped us because so many of our customers were were shut down, Yeah, right? And it may whomp us again, but maybe only in those states where um, there's a lot of, well, that's political. Anyway, um, so we'll see, you know, but we never, we didn't set out to be a gazillion We didn't set out to be the Amazon of. And set
1: out to stay in your lane and...
0: We've stayed up we, right. yeah we we are yeah, right we set out to stay in our lane and build our lane and and I and uh you know <laughs> from the Kevin Costner movie build it and they will come mm-hmm. I I've, I've sort of been a build it and they will come and you're a digital guy so you know yes. build it and they will come That's the
1: idea right
0: <laughs> You don't you don't have to go out and knock on all those doors you right. set it up so that they walk in and when they and when people walk in they go oh okay that's what this is about. I, about. Yeah. I'm, I'm with this. Yes. This this makes me feel good.
1: Completely agree. That's it. So, yeah. So
0: that's,
1: yeah. Okay. No, this is all really, really wonderful stuff. Um, I wanted to ask, so in terms of your, well, first of all, how many employees do you have right now these days?
0: Well, uh, right now, including myself, we're only, we're a small team of five okay. in the U.S. Yep. Um, where we manufacture our partners of twenty six plus years. Okay. Um, there's about thirty people. Sure. Um, and um, full transparency, they produce for us, but they also have other customers. You okay. Know, it's, yep. I mean, again, and we were outsourcing before anybody was outsourcing, and right. we outsourced because we couldn't find anybody to do what we needed to do in the U.S. Yep. Um, and then, and then we have all the additional. Subcontractors, just like any business, bookkeeper, accountant, lawyer, I even have a fractional CFO. I have we have so all told it's probably about fifty people.
2: Okay. So it's but grown. we're not
0: yeah. oh in my warehouse, two warehouses, printer, you know, we're an aggregate. But I was always what I called it back then was a satellite company. So you want to have your core, your ERP, right? And then you you don't need to hire and house everybody. They're all independent.
1: Mm. You were way ahead of your time in that too. It sounds like <laughs> you were. Yeah, you just I just did that. what
0: what was affordable. <laughs> right. Well, yeah.
1: you were the le- original lean startup. Um,
0: yeah. Right. Exactly. Lean startup. Yeah. <laughs> way before. So. Way before.
1: Obviously, raising oh God, kids. Wa- yeah. Go ahead.
0: I want to say one more thing. Yes. Um. Something also that I didn't want to subscribe to and write about in the book is something called co-opportunity. Okay. I believe that if you find someone else in your space um, who they could even be a direct competitor, but usually there's something different, just like, you know, there's different kinds of sneakers. Work with them. Expand the space. Mm. First of all, it's way more fun. Mm. Um, And you gain access to whole other audiences. You know, why wouldn't I want to work with um, a, a reusable water bottle? Or my friend Eco Lunchboxes, Sandra. Why wouldn't I want to work with them? You know, we just, but that's something that we were doing way before. But now it's pretty popular in terms of, um, you know, branded co-marketing campaigns and stuff like that.
1: Of course, so turn your competitors into allies. Yeah,
0: yeah. And and if you don't even and if you don't work with them because you decide you don't want to look at what they're doing. Oh my gosh, and and see where's the fit. I mm-hmm. mean, if you're on the same. If it's another, for us, if it's another B Corps, it's another socially responsible business, their growth is only going to help you. Like it's an all boats rise kind of thing.
1: Especially if you're focused on a larger objective, which is bigger than your individual company, the mission 100%. behind
0: it. 100%. And very practically, if they have a buyer they're working with and their buyer is sort of testing that idea of, oh, you know, these responsible companies. They'll be open to other companies like them.
1: Mm.
0: It's tactical, too.
1: That's so cool. Yeah, that's, a, that's always been a vision of mine as well, to do business only with ethical people. You know, I do marketing. I want to do ethical company marketing. Mm-hmm. To have an exclusive client roster of people who are doing good things.
0: Mm-hmm. You know, I, I know a bunch of people who do that, yeah.
1: That's wonderful.
0: Yeah. I, I, I if don't you know can't about like a
1: product business, but obviously mm-hmm. that's a different kind of thing than a service business.
0: Yeah, it's a little tricky. I mean, yeah, it can be tricky. And the other thing, though, is if you work with someone who you don't really like what they're doing, you have the opportunity to influence them.
1: Change. Mm. To be
0: a voice of change, and if you really don't agree with what they're doing, I mean, I've had a few clients come across, and you think, "Oh, we're just a you know bag company," and this would be a custom printed bag. You say, "Sorry, we, you know, can't do it." Yeah, can't do it. And I I could, I could get very political on that, and we haven't had to do that. So, um, but that's a choice,
1: right? And it's also, I guess. For Well, I don't know. Do you think it's a luxury to have that choice? Do you think that everybody is able to make that choice? Or are there situations where people have to do something that they don't want to do to make the ends meet? Do you believe that everybody can adhere to their principles throughout their career and business and life?
0: I uh, Yes and no. It, and it's very individual. Um, I think... I think the least amount you need to compromise, the better and that there are levels of ouch. Yeah, I'll just put it there. Like if I'm supposed to recycle something,
1: if I know something's recyclable and I throw it into the garbage can, that's a tiny ouch.
0: That's a tiny pain. If I'm
1: doing a marketing campaign for Philip Morris, that's a big ouch.
0: That might be, yeah, that might be your big ouch. For me
1: or something like that. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, that's what I'm
0: saying. I mean, again, the stuff I have is so political, it'll be like blow up your podcast. Although I don't know who you have listening, but yeah, I mean, there's rights that have been removed and (laughs) like I wouldn't want to promote those.
1: Yes, completely agree. Completely agree. Well, I think, I suspect you know, we agree on yeah. a lot of those deeper political
0: yeah. issues. Well, you live, in, you live in L.A. and I live in New York. so Right, just, yes. The, the,
1: <laughs> I, I think we're probably on the same page about the great majority of And we, both came, of the of those yeah, we things. both came yes. up to the theater. Yeah, we both
0: came up to the theater and improv. So, yeah, we I think it's safe there. to
1: say that it's a, it's a safe space, but I, I completely yeah. agree with you. <laughs>
0: yeah, and, and, you know, and I don't, I was listening to a, a daily the other day, the daily podcast from the New York Times mm-hmm. Um which I do not consider an outrageous lefty (laughs) publication. I I believe that the New York times still does really good reporting. I don't always agree with it, but they're doing their job Um,
1: sacrilegious. Yeah, no, I agree. Yeah. Yeah.
0: They're doing their job. They're not spreading lies. And I was listening to um, people being interviewed about why or why not. Well, actually why not? Why, why they're not getting vaccinated. Right. And I thought, okay, they're not looney tunes. They're actually thinking this through. They're, they're just not thinking about the larger consequences. So I—it's right. not like I was angry with them. I was—I well, was, but um, <laughs> I, I, I. There's just uh, there's so many levels right now. I just think, think the most important thing is to speak your own truth and to stay on your own path as much as possible. And again, if you have to, if you have to put food on the table, you know, maybe you buy beans instead of steak.
2: Right.
1: Kill two. And birds I'm all about. I'm thing. all about
0: beans, by the way. Exactly. Kill two birds. Right? Go <laughs> yeah. vegan
1: and save money. No, that's yeah. that, that just hey. That I can far. tell. I
0: can. I can. I fed an entire camp for like a hundred dollars for a week once. Oh, There you, you know. go. And that was adults yeah. and children by yeah. really knowing how to how to cook and how to cook, you know, sure. legumes and whatnot. So.
1: And I I do think that there's there are so many myths, and I'm glad that we're dispelling some of them about these people set up these binary things that aren't true like that making money is an opposition to doing good, that uh, you know, if you're a hippie, you're not a business savvy or various things. There are so many things that are set up, these constructs like you can't do good and make money. You can't be creative and do that. So I love the idea of, of breaking these things down. And, and oftentimes what I think we find is that we find a solution that's better on all fronts. And I have a great example. One of my earlier podcast guests, uh, a restaurateur here, who owned a bunch of vegan? Who owns a bunch of vegan restaurants that are doing very well in the L.A. area? Pandemic Which hits one? a Sage Vegan Bistro. Okay. And her name yeah. is Molly Engelhart. She's a, a brilliant woman, and mm-hmm. so obviously a lot of restaurants were shut down for an extended period of time. She has this farm, uh, not too far away from here in California, where the, she grew all of this beyond organic but regenerative produce mm-hmm. for these restaurants. So it's truly awesome. She comes up with the idea during the pandemic of creating a direct consumer CSA box. So we can subscribe to this, and I did subscribe. I saw it. a friend of mine tip me off to it. And then you get this thing that is better on all levels because mm-hmm. each week I get a box straight from the farm delivered to my door for actually mm-hmm. cheaper than it would cost me to go to Whole Foods and get it wrapped mm-hmm. in plastic mm-hmm. and all of that. comes in a cardboard box to my door, there's not a plastic piece in sight, just a box full of produce. And you come to the realization that not only does it taste better, it's better for it. Just it's better across the board. It's better mm-hmm. quality. It's better for you. It's better for the environment. Mm-hmm. And I love those kinds of solutions that I think a lot of other people have always assumed kind of couldn't exist. Like mm-hmm. there there are truly win-win-wins out there, I think. Mm-hmm. And
0: Right, and you made it all about you and you're supporting her and her staff and it's regenerative, yes. which means you're supporting all the people who support her on, on the business end because if right. you look at a business as the midpoint, to the right, let's say, are all the consumers and all, everything that goes on that side, but to the left is all the businesses that are an entire ecosystem as well.
1: Mm-hmm. And you pay so with, a fair wage. Obviously, I saw that your ethos is you're taking care of the people that you work with. You have fair trade. You're paying fair wages. So you're being responsible on both sides of that.
0: Right. And to break down something else, too, from the very beginning when we started producing overseas um, in India, um, we made sure that was in place. But we didn't have to actually even push it. They were already doing it. So we actually got really fortunate with our partners. Um, And they have, you know, the things, paid vacations, you know, all the things that are coming up now. And and livable wages and healthcare. I mean, these things exist in other countries. This is. I mean, the U.S. is probably at the. It's not the best. We're no. not exceptional anymore. Thank, we, no. Get off that. Yep. We can build back better. Right. And we are a, a conversation, but we're not a done deal. We no. need to actually reexamine how our history has been presented and presented in the real light, and so, and really see that we were a nation built on the backs of a lot of other people.
1: Of course. And, and, and
0: so with that information, though, they make better decisions going forward. We don't have to repeat what was, which is in some ways is interesting because the pandemic has really upset so many systems. So it's interesting to see which ones are just snapping right back in, right? And which ones are reorganizing. Right. Really thoughtfully considering how they're going to move forward? Absolutely. And if they can move forward, I mean, there's a lot mm. of that too. So I don't want to. It's not all rosy. <laughs> yeah,
1: of course, definitely.
0: Yeah.
1: Um. Well, I do. I do want to ask a little bit on a, pra- yeah. a couple practical notes. Sure. Um, so, in the beginning days to today, what was your da- what was a day in the life like when you first started? What's a day in the life like now?
0: Oh. So when I first started a day in my life, uh, let's see, I had my son, Julian. He was a baby. Uh, Tonya would come down and pick him up with Emma. They'd go off for maybe three, four hours, and I would sit at my desk making phone calls. And um, and if I had to go away to do a trade show, my dad used to go with me. My sisters used to go with me. My husband, we would just figure it out. Family was definitely key to this. And my dad had owned a store. So he was great at pulling people into the booth. Um, and I worked Probably, I worked about seven hours a day consistently. Um, I never worked after six o'clock at night. I never, I mean, except for maybe on one occasion or two, I worked at night. I I I never worked on weekends. I just made that a thing that Hmm. I don't work on weekends and I don't work in the evening. Um, I always took off at least an hour during the day to swim.
1: Really? Okay.
0: Yeah, I, I say it's your business to take care of yourself so that you can take care of your business.
1: Great point.
0: You know? And, you know, with kids, it's not like, oh, you're done working and then you're off. (laughs) It's like you're done working and then you start working. (laughs) No. (laughs) Yeah. And I have two kids. I have two children, um, although they're not children anymore. They're 29 and (laughs) almost 32, right? Um, And actually, my daughter, Eva, is studying basically a sustainable perspective on architectural engineering. And my son is a comic book uh, writer, and he's working in the metaverse.
1: Oh, awesome.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Board Ape Comics.
1: Okay, cool. <laughs> we'll put it up. on the screen. Yeah, yeah.
0: NFT, uh, not NFT, but he's minting it as an NFT, but also as a physical comic book, and it's coming out in a few in August twenty first. So Exciting. That's promo for Julian. Sure. Um, so that was then. Um, somewhere in the midpoint, I was. That's about it. I was working from home. I worked from home until our stuff got featured on Oprah in two thousand and seven, and I had to expand and create a staff because up until was 2007 like boost yeah massive like over the top Wow. um you know just i, I saw oprah and i want to go green right I'm the like, oprah okay. bump and I, a beneficiary yes, I, she's amazing and i love her but i had never watched her before that because i was a mom with two kids running a business who has times to watch tv in the yet. middle of the day of course. not gonna happen but my neighbor watched it and my mother-in-law watched it um So yeah, basically that was, you know, I always took vacations and I, my husband's a school teacher. So two weeks at the holidays, two weeks in March and all of the summer. So I took as much of the summer as possible until computers and cell phones started invading everything. Um, And now, now I work, you know, a couple hours a day. I have a team of people. Um, It's so easy. I can check in on my phone. Um, Some days I work more, some days I work less. We don't have an office anymore. Um, everybody's working from home and prefers that because they have uh, family needs that they can attend to. And yep. Do I care if they're making a chicken while they're working? I don't care. Or cooking dinner or doing the laundry? I don't care. No. I want them to have as much freedom as possible. So long as the work gets done. So long as the yep. customers who we work um, to, to bring in are, are, so long as we can build relationships with those people and deliver what they need in, on time.
1: Yep. Completely with you. I feel the exact same way on that.
0: You know, flexibility is great. great. I mean, I think, and especially it's been crazy for um, at least one of my employees has two small children. Oh, my God. To keep them, have them at home during the pandemic and work and, and, and is just, you know, it's, she's had it the hardest. People who are single have had their challenges, but with kids in the house, school-age kids has been most challenging well, my husband's rough. a teacher, and he's been going to school all, all year. They went back fully masked, uh, smaller classrooms, um, and he's going back full-time with larger classrooms starting in, in September.
1: Yep, yep. Um, that's all very good. I, I had another question that I wanted to mm-hmm. get through. Um, so when you go to the first Earth Day, 1990, you sell out in four, four hours. A lot of books that I've read, a lot of stories have this kind of moment. Some sort of validation relatively early on. I read Blake Mycoskie's book, Start Something That Matters. He's a mm-hmm. uh, founder of Tom's Shoes. And right. it was sort of a similar thing. He has this idea. He comes back from Argentina with, let's say, a thousand pairs of shoes They're sold out in the first day or the first two days. A week later, he's featured on Vanity Fair, and then yada yada goes. He gets his Oprah moment three days after coming back from Argentina, so to speak. Um, Do you think that it's important for validating a business idea that you have some form of instant validation? Do you think that that is an important sign um, because on the one hand, I think we're in an instant gratification kind of society where people are very impatient. They don't want to build things. I think we're all guilty of that to some degree. But on the other hand, when is it taking too long? Or when, do you, when would you say, like, oh, maybe that's not a great business idea. Maybe I shouldn't be doing this or that.
0: Hmm. Well, it's kind of two questions. Sure. Um, is it a good business idea? Yes or no? That. You need to answer sort of earlier in in the building of it by constantly asking people and talking to people and not interrupting with your idea of where it should go and listening for the plus and the negative, right? In terms of building with the big moment, like my big moment came in 2007, um, or I should say my biggest moment. Because after that, I got featured in Time Magazine. I got featured in... Uh, bag it the movie, and most recently, I was featured um, video for um, the Story Exchange. So, and I got featured in Glamour. I had to wear so much makeup, anyway. Um, but a lot of smaller things led up to that. So it's kind of like building with blocks, and every block represents a niche community. That especially now, since things are so much more fragmented, it's not maybe just an Oprah moment anymore. Although she still carries a huge amount of weight um but like Seth Godin gave me a, a blurb for my book. Brilliant. So he's he's really recognizable and I've been in a seminar and know him. Um you know and so that's when I asked him. Um so it's about building your building on your truth with an awareness of who you want to to let who you can who you can leverage you're not going at it just from a ledgering point but from but from a meeting of the mind standpoint because you're not just going to ask i'm not going to ask somebody to just give me a, a um i don't know a blurb if i don't know them and they don't know me it's like why you know because it's so i guess it's the influencer piece you're basically at that you're you're finding influencers even if they're not you know, CBS news, or, you know, they're not going to be broadcast widely because sometimes actually you can catch more, more fish in a small pond than you can in a large pond. Mm. So it's that, it's, like I said in the very beginning, it's patience and perseverance mm-hmm. and, and persistence. That's, what I, that's the other P I needed. So I use lots of P's. So it's persistence <laughs> and patience and just, and, and don't overdo it. Just do it a couple hours a day. Chip away. But be very focused because, and, and that's something I have to tell myself all the time. You have to build a practice, another P word. You have to build a practice uh, to build your patience and your persistence <laughs> in order to arrive at profit. No, you have to because because if you overdo it and then it doesn't deliver, you're pissed off. Another P. <laughs> right. So then just, just steadily go, for, okay, I'll give you an example. I decided that I was going to do a uh, climate ride. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. No. Um, it's where you ride your bike for a, um, a nonprofit. Okay. And, and this one is particularly, uh, is around environmental issues. And so you raise money to do the ride, and then the money you raise is donated to the thing. Well, first of all, I, it was a 100-mile ride from New York to D.C. Uh, first of all, I didn't have a bike. I'd never ridden more than, I don't know, 10, 12 miles at a clip. Um, And I signed up for this thing. So how did I get there? I got there by by riding my bike every single day for about three or four months. Mm. You know, just getting on the saddle, literally, and upping my mileage and going to the gym and, you know, doing one of those... um, This is before Peloton, but one of those things where, you know, the guy comes on and says, you're an athlete. And you go, yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) And over, you know, the first time I rode 36 miles, I thought I was going to die. I thought I'm never going to be able to do this. And the next thing you know, I'm riding 80 miles a day.
2: Whoa.
0: I don't know if I could do that now because that was a bunch of years ago. But the point is, is that I built up to it slowly and steadily. Because again, if you push too hard, you'll injure yourself. So that's the same as, is, being upset that you didn't reach your goal.
1: Literally and metaphorically. Yes. yourself.
0: Your Injure yourself.
1: Your motivation.
0: Yeah, your motivation, your emotions. You know, I can't yep. do this. But to get back to your point of whether it's a good idea or not, it's good to dip into that every now and then say, is this still a good idea? Mm. Is this providing me with what I wanted? Not just mm-hmm. financially, but emotionally, connectively. What else is out there? Look for other work. See if there's other, anything, you know, the best way to come back to what you're doing is to look for other work and go, oh God.
2: (laughs) Oh, that's even worse. That's (laughs) even
0: worse. (laughs) That's why I tell everybody who's got kids, every child should work a retail job.
1: Oh boy. Wait on tables. That's right.
0: Because they'll either fall in love with it or they'll hate it. Hate it. And that's all I've seen. I've seen both. Yes. Like, yeah. They have to do a job that...
1: i've only seen the one i don't know if i've seen anybody who fell in love with retail work but
0: yeah so some people love merchandising and i love you know dealing with customers there's different things there you know having that daily so yeah but you should yeah anyway okay
1: well this has been a really 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 fabulous for me thank you again um i do want to close with one quick question before we promote some things um Mm -hmm. The first is, I like to end with this again, like I said, I have a small daughter and uh, what advice would you have to a young girl who is thinking about following in your footsteps in some way or another? What would you say to that person?
2: Oh, I'd say you can, you can do it. Focus and focus and practice. Believe in focus. Yeah.
0: Yeah, focus and practice. Okay. Yeah. And because now, I mean, everything you need to learn, you can learn, it's at your fingertips. And really, what you need to learn is how to ask the right questions because the answers are there.
2: Very cool. And I
0: think, and there's so many more role models now out there in terms of um, social entrepreneurs, women entrepreneurs. Um, there's, way more people you can see uh, doing now.
1: Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, thank you for that. uh, With that, you know, I think, again, in terms of being a role model, your book, The Magic of Tiny Business, which I promise you will be what I purchase 30 seconds after this call. I very, very (laughs) much look forward to reading it. It's right up my alley. I can't wait to uh, see your thoughts written down. And you don't have to go big to make a great living, um, which you've clearly done. I think it's very inspirational. So again, really, really thank you for taking the time to sit with me and tell me a little bit about your story. I really appreciate it.
0: Yeah, thank you. Thank you. I mean, I'm actually thinking of how, and your podcast is one way of how to um, amplify this story to reach more niche pockets. Because I think the more people understand that you can pick your own path and, and make it work and work it. Um, it's a good thing. Great. And we know it as, as artists. You know, you know you can do it. And, right. and of course, you'll always question yourself, but that's good.
1: <laughs> that's good. Yeah. That's good. Well, I'm very, very <laughs> glad I met you. <laughs> I think yeah. it's really cool. I hope we stay <laughs> in touch. And uh, is, there, is there anything else that you want to promote or let people know about? I want to give the floor um, to you for the closing word.
0: Yeah, sure. Um, well, sure, you can get my book, um, The Magic of Tiny Business, is on Amazon and Bookshop, and it's at a lot of local bookstores, too, so you can request it through independent bookstores. Um, also, if you feel, I'll just do some family promotion. If you feel like you you just need to chill down and, and really connect with music, my husband does, um, Blake Rowe does a, a weekly podcast called Piano Meditations, available on all your popular, you know, podcast formats he's been doing it for three years now and i think he's up to 150 plus podcasts um and my son is doing a comic book in the universe um uh bored ape comics <laughs> you can look up the web page and my daughter's skiing today because both my kids are in new zealand and she said it's a uh, what'd you say a bluebird sky today powder <laughs> and blue skies Uh, that's a dream yeah, they're both, they're in New Zealand because of COVID. So they're there, we're here. Okay. Yep.
1: I think they got a pretty good deal on that one.
0: Yeah, yeah, they, they got, <laughs> they were just there. So that was where they stayed.
1: Wow. Yep. That's mm-hmm. a cool story in and of itself. Yeah,
0: yeah.
1: Well, okay. Well, then. thank you. My yep. pleasure. Thank you. Um, with that, My the pleasure. official podcast is over. Over. Thank you once again for listening to the Beat the Often Path podcast. I'm your host, Ross Palmer. I really appreciate you making it this far. What an incredible episode that was. Sharon is truly an inspiration. I know I'll be thinking about this for a very, very long time. So again, if you like what you've been hearing, rate it five stars on Apple Podcasts. Leave a nice review on Apple Podcasts. Tell your friends. Let me know if there are any people that you think should be featured who fit the bill of a truly inspiring success story or tale. And remember that we don't define success in just monetary terms here on this show. It's about the bigger picture, eco-friendly things, creative pursuits, truly unusual, quirky, fun, funny paths that remind us that there is so much more that you can do in this one life we have than just follow a straight, narrow, boring path. Again, thank you so much for listening. I appreciate it and help me support this podcast in any way you can. With that, I say thanks again. See you next time.